0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show. Been a long time since we've done this, but we are finally back. USC 249 just around the corner. We actually have some fights to talk about. My name is Carl Bainbridge and somebody in the realms of the internet unfortunately his camera broke just a couple of weeks ago is my guest today, Clay Richardson. Clay, thank you very much.
1: Uh, Yes, I'm here. I decided to pull the full 24 hours stayed up the whole night so i could talk to you normally rec- we record this like pretty early in the morning for me and it's always pain in the ass for me to wake up after a saturday night early so just decide to stay up late for you so
0: how, er- how early yeah. are we talking
1: oh, it's only like 11 a.m for me right now
0: <laughs> it's nothing too crazy tell you what though that is pure dedication for a hawky little podcast mm-hmm. show which about 200 mm-hmm. 500 people watch. That is pure dedication. So a big thank you to yourself for doing this.
1: Yeah, no problem. I wasn't entirely intag- sure
0: whether or not we should like animate you on that right hand side of the screen.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe get like a bit emoji or something. <laughs> just <laughs> animate that or just something. Just like you just like Don't you worry, nodding next, whenever uh... I'm saying
0: something. Something like that.
1: Yeah, I think there's like a program you can get where some streamers they use it when they stream games, where it's like an animated, like just an animated character that lip syncs, <laughs> just lip syncs a streamer. Could probably try that.
0: <laughs> you are here, though. That's what matters, and we are here to talk about USC two forty nine. Mm-hmm. Is the first preview show that we've done for. We'll be looking at around about nearly two months now. UFC 248 was the last time you joined us. Big thank you to everybody who contributed to the channel to watch our previews of Israel Adesanya, Yoel Romero, Jean Wey Lee, Ioana Jacek. And that was a really positive note that the USC left us off. Obviously one of the, arguably one of the greatest fights of all time with Ioana and Weley. There has been a long wait. We've sort of stewed of all the anticipation, all the scrutiny over what could be happening. Last week we did get the confirmation USC 249 was going ahead, it was taking place in Jacksonville, no crowd but most events will be taking place from Florida for the next forthcoming weeks including this weekend's main event Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gagey and a star studded cast on the undercard.
1: Mm-hmm. You got a huge undercard and good prelims even the fight pass prelims every single fight has something going for it
0: I do want to start though by talking about UFC 249 It's safe to say even though a lot of the hardcore just bleed fight fans are really excited about this show simply because we've got combat sport back again But it is safe to say mm-hmm. that sort of the everyman on the street is still very concerned about the health and safety of this event so I think it's safe to say we need to be talking about that first and foremost.
1: Oh yeah, basically any normal person looking in, <laughs> looking in, seeing this is gonna be asking why, why is there so much pressure to put this on at this certain period of time, but really, I've... who really knows? It could be contractual obli- obligations, it could be something along the lines of that, but uh, in terms of my opinion, Happy to see some fights back, you know. I'm not one of those people that absolutely wants it gone. I'm not one of those people that absolutely wants it to stay either. I'm sort of in the middle here. I'm not really a diehard fan, wanting it to come back ASAP, but don't really want it to go away either. <laughs> it's sort of hard. It's sort of hard to explain my position, but yeah, it'd be good to see hopefully some fights. If this I'm happens. I'm in a very similar I more, to to be honest,
0: because. Yeah. I love the fact that we have actually got a UFC event back and we have got ourselves, given the circumstances, a very good one at that. However, I still, to an extent, feel we're getting a depleted product because there's not going to be any crowds. We're going to have mm. fighters who maybe aren't at 100% because the training facilities aren't going to be available to them. And you just sort of think to yourself, is it really worth us going to all this sort of extents for a half-hearted product? Because even though I did enjoy UFC Brasilia, which was the last show before we went into lockdown, I did feel the the empty arena did take something away from the matchups.
1: Yeah, definitely. Sort of felt weird watching those matchups. A lot of the, a lot of it was decisions. Don't really want to say it was the fighters' fault, but. Maybe the crowd did sort of not really have an impact on them. Maybe crowd does have an impact when people are booing and stuff. And maybe that does do an impact on some fighters looking for a finish. So got to take that into account a little bit there. But yeah, I enjoyed UFC Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, it was a little bit off. It felt like sort of like a Tuesday night contender, contender card.
0: And the other question as well is the appetite From the audience for these kind of events Mm -hmm. yes we're getting a sort of half-hearted product are people going to be wanting that because the one thing that stood out for me with UFC Brazilian was this was just as the lockdown started so and the UFC was pretty much the only major sporting event which was still taking place at the time so it was prime time ESPN but the viewing figures were awful for that card because I don't think the audience were really wanting to see it Focus at that point was on obviously their friends their family making sure they were safe they didn't really want to be Mm -hmm. paying money to watch sport I mean this is going to be a pay-per-view with so many people furloughed are they going to be wanting to pay the 60 70 dollars to rent this show
1: yeah I remember when Brasilia first aired that's when everything like sort of peaked that's when it was going crazy <laughs> there was so many cancellations everything that's when everybody was going nuts about the toilet paper and everything so I feel like people weren't really paying attention to their Twitter feeds or their their t- their television screens to really look for sports at that certain time so I do think that definitely had an impact on it but in terms of like now I think there will be a little I think there will be a boost definitely a boost in uh, numbers compared to the Brasilia card just because you know this is a bigger card it's got bigger name fighters on here it's got better matchups on here compared to the Brasilia card so there will be a little bit more interest but I don't think it will be absolutely insane I don't think it will be what is thinking it will be
0: we do however have ourselves a fight card a very strong one as well given that Mm -hmm. we've had so much uncertainty over whether the event's going to be taking place, etc, etc. I think one thing that really stood out for me, and I sort of mentioned this on social media if anybody follows me on my uh, Twitter handle, I think the one thing that has been a positive from the UFC's perspective is it's helped them identify who their company men are. Because you could have some Mm -hmm. fighters who are quite picky and choosy over whether, whether or not they want to take fights, and you've got some guys who are just willing to say, hey, I'll risk everything. I'll fight during the middle of a pandemic for the sake of, you know, earning myself a quick paycheck or trying to, trying to keep the show going. So a lot of these guys who are fighting this weekend and fighting over the next two fight cards as well, their stock is going to rise within the UFC. Dana's going to be thinking, hey, you went out mm-hmm. your way for me. I'm going to reward you in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. He's definitely looking at someone like Bryce Mitchell in this situation. He's definitely somebody that I could certainly capitalize on this situation.
0: Like this is pretty much prime Gilbert Burns territory. The like Gilbert Burns is mm-hmm. going to absolutely love this sort of lockdown fight because he's just going to want to fight every week.
1: Hmm, I could definitely see Burns fighting Woodley on the That's 23rd. The moment, I
0: think That's that fight?
1: And- yeah, that fight's being made a little bit so definitely see that burns against somebody
0: and it's a fight (laughs) as well that makes a lot of sense from a rankings perspective as well because gilbert's been on fire recently Mm -hmm. i think he only joined welterweight in i'm tempted to say august but just being Mm -hmm. so active and taking chances and not risking the fallout that might come from a loss he's benefited from that top five fighter and with that division pretty much strangling itself with so many Big egos not wanting to try and take fights below them. You could argue that I, I couldn't say Gilbert's gonna get the next title shot, but if we're taking Masvid out, out the equation, mm-hmm. if Colby's haggling over fights, if Tyron's trying to meander, obviously Leon can't fight. hmm
1: Yeah, he's trapped there. Basically. He plays his
0: cards right, Gilbert could be right in the mix, especially if he beats Woodley.
1: Mm-hmm. I would have definitely liked to have seen Woodley versus Colby instead, but I'm pretty sure Burns versus Woodley has way better odds of actually happening.
0: <laughs> so before we do anything though, before we talk about our main card itself, we're going to be looking over those prelims. And as you touched on it there, a very stacked group of prelims. Starting off, main event on ESPN will be Donald Cerrone taking on Anthony Pettis, Alexi Linick back in action up against Fabrizio Doom. Carlos Sparta vs. Michelle Waterson, so that's a big one for the strawweight division. Uriah Hall vs. Jacques A lot of people sleeping in that. And even when we go to the fight pass prelims, rematch Vincent Luke and Nicole Price, Bryce Mitchell and Charles Rosa, and opening our card will be Ryan Spann and Sam Alvi. So I've made myself a few notes over things that we could be talking about during these prelims. And the big one is stemming from Cowboy Cerrone, and more than anything. The news that came out over the past couple of days, he was interviewed for ESPN uh, to discuss obviously the fallout from the Conor McGregor loss. And he made some, in my opinion, very telling comments. Basically made the implication that Cowboy didn't show up for that fight. Donald Cerrone was fighting Conor Conor McGregor, not Cowboy. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people had questioned Cowboy's mentality, whether he can handle the big occasions. And... You hate to say it, but he sort of backed up a lot of those doubters with those comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, there was comments as well from Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith received a lot of criticism. He basically said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Cowboy mentally wasn't there. He quit at the first sign of resistance, and he got a lot of backlash from the from the MMA media. When... You come to think about it, I think a lot of those people or Stephen A. Smith an apology because I think he called it right on the nose.
1: Yeah, he was a little bit yes. rash about it the way he first came out about it. He was kind of disrespectful the first way he came out about it. But when you uh, sort of think about it, yeah, he was kind of he's kind of telling the truth a little bit. And it wasn't the right way to go about <laughs> telling the truth, but he was, um, you know, wasn't lying there. He definitely, definitely saw. What are you talking about? Well, that's always
0: been the Stephen A. Smith way, though. He's always been very brash. Yeah. He always, always has so this brash. sort of over-the-top way of selling his opinions because that's what creates clicks. That's what creates oh, events. Yeah. So I don't doubt him from that perspective. For Cowboy, though, I think we've got him, He's he's got himself the fallback fight he needed. Anthony Pettis is still capable of causing a lot of people problems, Obviously the Wonderboy knockout took a lot of people by surprise, yet I saw the guy against Diego Ferreira, I personally thought that Ferreira was going to win that fight before then, got the win in the second round, and Mm -hmm. personally I think we're looking at two guys who, while still legends, and will still most likely be Hall of Famers, two guys who are past their peak when it comes to relevance for the lightweight and the welterweight divisions.
1: Yeah, really the winner of this fight is it's gonna be interesting because the winner coming out of this is sorta of gonna be don't really wanna say uh, reaching the end of his career, but it's gonna be telling to see who's gonna win this fight, really. It's gonna be pretty interesting actually. I'm gonna see whether or not Donald shows up or Cowboy shows up. This is up. <laughs> the new
0: Francis versus uh, Igano, isn't it?
1: Mhm. Yeah, it could pretty much <laughs> pretty much be that.
0: In terms of the other fights on the prelims, uh the other big story stemming from this is Fabucio Vidu making a comeback. Uh he'll be, I believe, forty three years old, taking on another veteran in Alexia Linick. This on paper could be a grappling fans dream because we've got two of the best jiu-jitsu and wrestlers in the heavyweight division.
1: Mm -hmm. For a while there, I didn't think uh, Verdun was going to immediately jump back into the UFC. For a while there, I thought he was going to jump into a Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship for a little bit. I think I saw him. He was was there with somebody else. There was another UFC fighter there, but he was there at a a weigh-in. He was talking about how he's interested in Bare Knuckle and how he likes the idea of BKFC and everything. So for a while there, I thought Verdun was going to be going over there. But in terms of this matchup, I think it's a great matchup for, for Doom to come back too. It's going to be a great clash. I could definitely see this. could see them maybe pulling a little bit of Askin versus uh, Maya at the beginning, maybe doing a little bit of stand-up fighting, and then probably at the end, end fighting sequence, somebody will end up taking it to the ground and getting the upper hand. If it
0: does turn into a striking battle, I'm very similar to you. We've seen a lot of times where uh, great grapplers are too scared to go to the ground with one another, and they end up having a sloppy yeah. kickboxing match. If it does turn into that door, I think Verdum has the better hands. It's just whether or not he can still yeah. do it at 43 years old.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, you look at that Marcon versus Verdum fight, that was a brutal yes. knockout, holy crap. <laughs> Like that was a clinic he put on Mark Hunt and that was when Mark Hunt was on his rise Like that was a, the one punch Hunt era so that was definitely impressive knockout uh, there quick
0: plug there for your video I noticed
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah just a little drop there but yeah I definitely could see Verdum um, definitely not not quitting in this fight I don't think he'll do the strategy that he normally does in the like he did in the Volkov or the Stipe fight I don't think he'll do that in this fight. I don't think he's going to drop his hands and charge forwards throwing strikes. Definitely think he'll be a bit more conservative and probably a bit more defensive than that.
0: What are the other fights that stand out for you on the rest of the prelims?
1: Uh, definitely Uriah Hall versus Jacare. That's probably that's probably the one that I'm looking forward to the most, actually. That's probably the one on the prelims I'm probably the most excited about it because that was the one that was always on the card really that was announced way back when they first announced the card so always been looking forward to that fight Uriah Hall sort of turning a new leaf Uriah Hall for a while there he was my favorite fighter before he ran into Brunson but that's a whole nother topic for another time Uriah I Hall I think moving but to
0: Portis definitely... has done Uriah a lot of good in my opinion
1: Hmm. yeah yeah, for a while there he had a lot of um, confidence issues with, you know, pushing the trigger, pulling that gun, like he wasn't really getting those kill shots that he wanted. But he's definitely, he's definitely evolved, he's definitely turning a new leaf. The
0: fight for me to look <coughs> out for is Luke versus Price. Uh, the two had previously fought, mm-hmm. it was a fairly one-sided win for Luke. The thing with Nicole Price though, is he is so unpredictable. He's a very slow starter, and he sometimes does crumble under pressure. But if he does get yeah. the opportunity to open up a bit, he can cause anybody problems. I think we saw that with the Tim Means fight. Means dropped him, I think, mm-hmm. a couple of times, but Price stuck in there and ended up getting the knockout right at the end of the first round. And also, as well, you look at the fights that Luke has had recently. He's taken a lot of punishment. Like the Barbarena fight was a war, and then, of course, there was that beatdown against Wonderboy. So you might question whether or not his chain is still as good as what it maybe was. He's very reliant on that. So, I think that could be a bit more 50-50 than people think. I still favor Luke here between the two, but Nico Price is always good fun. So, that's if you want my dark horse to fight tonight, that's going to be it.
1: Yeah, that's probably the one that's sort of slipping by. Not many people are really talking about that. A lot of people are just jumping straight to the prelims, but I agree with you. That's an intriguing matchup.
0: I've always said there's the best thing that a hardcore MMA fan can do is buy Fight Pass for the prelims. Because I can't tell you the mm-hmm. amount of times I've seen a great fight which doesn't even make it onto television. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at like like Arne yeah. versus Delos Reyes. That was on, I think... That was like a prelim on Fight Night Philippines. Or like Irini Aldana versus Pudelova. Another fantastic fight. All Fight Pass matches. So, I think if you want an indication of who could be the big stars the guys to look out for it's definitely worth getting fight pass
1: yeah normally on the fight pass prelims you sorta of see don't really wanna call it like squash matches but you normally see those huge knockouts in uh... fight pass prelims like sort of uh... trying to think not really a well i guess this was sort of a squash match that gifford with who was that guy Thomas Gifford versus uh who was the other guy? That was a brutal Mike clinic. Davis. That was pretty Yeah, Mike Davis. That was a that was a brutal prelim fight.
0: And the worst thing was the, the UFC cut Gifford after that.
1: Yeah, that was pretty brutal, actually.
0: It's all turned very Can't cheery, hasn't they did it? That. I think I think it's yeah. It's been raining for the past couple of days over here. I think it's I think it's affected everyone's mood.
1: Oh well. Oh well. So, alright, though. You wanna? We uh, will do. So,
0: you think to yourself all the controversy that's been happening with the UFC, whether this event should be taking place, and the UFC should be thinking to themselves, we don't want any more controversy. We don't want any more scandal uh, around this event. So, what's the first thing they do? Is put Greg Hardy as the opening fight (laughs) for the first pay-per-view during the middle of a pandemic. Greg Hardy is back in action. Taking on Jorgen DiCastro. Uh we'll start first and foremost by talking about Greg Hardy. Does he really need any more introductions? 5-2 record, his last fight was against Alexander Volkov. He took that on short notice at the Fight Night Moscow card. Where he did receive a lot of praise for his performance against Volkov given the circumstances. However, it did highlight to a lot of people that he is still an incredibly green fighter
1: Mm hmm Yeah, it wasn't a terrible performance. A lot of people wanted to see him get knocked out in that fight. You know, I don't really, I don't know, it's a touchy subject. I don't really want to touch on it this early in the morning when I'm tired, but I don't really judge somebody for their previous actions if I barely even know them, especially a fighter. I just really judge them on the way that they fight and the way that they present themselves in the ring and He's doing that pretty well so far, so I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt on there, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't really want to touch it to the pass and all that. I'm talking about the card, but in terms of Greg Hardy fighting Jorgen DeCastro, I believe, wasn't this fight made before 249? Wasn't this announced shortly before that or something for another I card?
0: say it was going to be on the undercard of the Columbus event,
1: yeah, I'm almost certain. Like I'm almost certain because i pretty sure they just bumped it up. But it's always strange how Greg Hardy is always on the main card yeah. now. <laughs> it's always quite strange. Well, I think
0: it's UFC wanting to try and cash in on the, the sort of casual appeal. Because, I mean, Greg Hardy was a big name in the mm. NFL. And, of course, there's all the scandals that uh, follow him, which, as you mentioned before, maybe aren't worth bringing into much detail at this time. But... Controversy creates cash, and I think the UFC are banking on he is this guy that nobody nobody really likes. Everybody wants to see him lose. They'll be willing to pay money to do that.
1: Yeah, but they're not really giving him the no. matches to sort of set him up no. to lose. I think they
0: see him as a. I wouldn't say as like a like a top ten fight or anything like that. But they do. They want to try and cash in on his notoriety, and if you look at the fights that he's had over. His UFC run, take Volkov excluded. You've got guys like Alan Crowder, Ben Sissoli, um Juan Adams. Not really the highest level competition. So he has been mollycoddled a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, that's the best way to describe it. They're sort of just building him up, yeah. really.
0: I'm actually just a little bit wary right now because of the way I've got the graphics. It's the first time I've used the graphics. I've got a tiny Greg Hardy just sitting in my corner. So it's like I'm just sort of peering over him. <laughs> All right. I'll to take a look at that. That sounds interesting. Getting back into more serious notes, uh, when we talk about Greg Hardy as the fighter, we've got to focus on his power. A natural 265-pound fighter carries a lot of strength, a lot of knockout ability, much more restrained in his more recent fights. There was this time, especially when he was on the Contender Series, where his aim was to just try and blow people out the window as quickly mm-hmm. as they could. I think what happened against Alan Crowder, though, where he tried to go for the knockout early, gassed himself out, and then eventually got DQ'd for that illegal knee, I think it made Greg realise, hey, I do need to work a bit more on my conditioning. And if you look at the way he approaches fights... He's much more patient. He's much more refined. Mm-hmm. Still not an elite fighter by any means, but there's been a definite jump in his performance compared to, say, the Crowder performance.
1: Hmm, it's certainly a good matchup for Greg Hardy to come back up onto uh, sort of the fight that I like to bring up whenever I think of Greg Hardy. Is sort of uh, I always like to think of the Juan Adams fight. That one was a. Uh, pretty unusual fight is that the one where he got uh the guy tried to go in for a takedown and he ended up just ended up punching his face yeah. in and <laughs> ended up getting the knockout yeah that that's someone that i remember i believe those Juan's last fight i think he's fighting in like afc or something now like arctic fighting championship or something now uh but yeah this is a pretty good fight i'm interested to see what's gonna happen in this you're he's a pretty decent fighter, he's definitely no bum I don't really want to say he's the best competition Greg Hardy has fought because of Volkov obviously but it's definitely not going to be a squash match and when we
0: talk about de Castro, we're talking about someone with a 6-0 record so two guys who are incredibly green Uh, now he's only ever had one fight with the UFC Uh, he got that brutal knockout up against Justin Tartha, which was on the UFC 243 main card that's sort of a trend that the UFC have been doing recently, just throwing these random heavyweight fights on the main card just just for the sake of it. I think they may be thinking, hey, it's going to be like a big knockout, so the show will flow a little bit better. But it always used to be that you used to put like random strawweight fights, and now it's the heavyweights now.
1: Yeah, you're seeing a lot more heavyweights, just random heavyweights. I remember that was, wasn't that the Australian yeah. card? So there was a lot of new faces in that card
0: (laughs) they scrimped so badly on those australian fight cards i understand obviously a lot of the big names don't really want to travel all the way around the world but the level of quality on the australian card certainly isn't as high as what they normally are in america
1: yeah that last one was pretty brutal the one with like jim cruz and sam alvey on like the main card like come on man nadia even was on the
0: main (laughs) card Casson versus yeah,
1: De It was a big was... fight. <laughs> yeah, that was a really unusual card. i definitely like to see the, the buys on that card. <laughs> I bet you it wasn't that high.
0: Yogi DiCastro, though, a lot of the criticisms that people have about Greg Hardy's opponents are that they're not high-level enough that you just basically got these fat brawlers, and which I think is quite harsh. With DiCastro... Yes, physically he doesn't look the best. He doesn't look the most imposing fighter. I've watched some of his fights on the regional circuit. I watched the fight he had with Alton Meeks on the contender series. Surprisingly agile for a man of his size, brutal leg kicks. A lot of people a lot of people forget mm-hmm. about this, but Alton Meeks was quite a highly rated prospect before the fight with Jorgen de Castro. But Jorgen got that win, pretty much hammered his leg and Meeks couldn't continue. And then got the UFC called, big knockout over Justin Taffer. And here we are, he's on the main card again against Greg Hardy. I think with De Castro, obviously cardio is going to be an issue. Because he's such a big guy, because he's so explosive. And even though Greg has a lot of those characteristics himself, it might be worth Greg trying to stretch this out a little bit. Test this guy, throw him into some deep water.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Greg Hardy's uh, game plan is going to be for this fight. It's going to be interesting to see if he goes in, guns blazing, seeing if he's going to knock him out quickly. But uh, considering it's going to be an empty arena, I could see him definitely doing that. (laughs) I could see him not being swayed by the crowd or anything. I could see him definitely trying that game plan out.
0: I'm very intrigued to see how Greg Hardy handles adversity because that's the one thing I don't think he's really Hmm. suffered At this point in his career. Because, I mean, via Volkov was causing him problems. But Volkov was never... Volkov was playing it safe. He didn't want to risk, obviously, getting caught by a big overhand ally. The Derek Lewis fight. So he was happy to outpoint him. I remember when Greg Hardy fought Alan Crowder. And when Greg started gassing. And Crowder started having more success. Greg wasn't liking it. And he started looking for that way out. And argue, mm. you could argue, depending on where you stand on Greg Hardy, he threw that knee, knowing that he would get himself disqualified. So if De Castro does catch him with like a big right hand or one of those powerful leg kicks, I'm intrigued to see how Hardy a- approaches that.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great way of looking at this. I get it. Definitely uh, thinking the same thing. It'll be pretty interesting to see that because Volkov, um, he never really put the pedal to the metal in that fight he didn't really try and throw any huge high kicks to knock him out or anything like that considering I always thought I wanted him to throw head kicks in that fight just because I remember Greg Hardy would always be just in prime position for that buddy Volkan never really threw any in that fight.
0: The one thing I've noticed about Greg is Greg doesn't like distance striking. He likes mm-hmm. to get on the inside mm-hmm. and just likes to throw that power but if you do have somebody who knows how to use their reach in the way that Volkov did, he did struggle with that. I did read an interview with Jorgen De Castro. he was talking about this fight. He said, I want to fight Greg Hardy now because I know he's going to get better.
1: It's a great way of looking at it. Cause he's only gonna just progress his game and just evolve his striking and wrestling and cardio is only gonna get better at this point.
0: So, the betting odds for this one, uh, we've got Greg Hardy as a minus 185 favourite. You can get DiCastro at a plus 150. Opening fight on the card, we hope that it's a banger. The UFC obviously hopes so as well, it's getting given that status. Are we going to get ourselves a first round knockout?
1: Mm, I'm going to go with the decision on this fight. I think it's going to go to a decision.
0: I'm going to say... I'm gonna say Greg Hardy and I'm gonna say second round. I think DeCastro I think De Castro okay. will start tiring, try and shoot for a takedown, and Hardy will just throw in the ground and pound.
1: Okay. I got Hardy by decision, so it'll probably be a ten second knockout. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you were the same guy who picked Cowboy to be Connor, weren't you?
1: Yeah, cowboy decision. <laughs> On to the next (laughs) fight.
0: Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I've made so many cock-ups when it comes to predictions as well. I mean, I thought Tyson Pedro was going to be a top five light heavyweight, so that makes you feel a little bit better. Wow. (laughs) Things are going to get better, though, because we're going down to the featherweight division now. Now, this is a fight which does... could be very, very tempting, especially if you're one of those hardcore fans who really reads into the sport... It's Jeremy Stevens taking on Calvin Cater. Uh, just a little bit of background about both of these guys. Let's start with the bookmaker's odds. Now, Calvin Cater, despite being a lower ranked fighter than Jeremy Stevens, is a minus 190 favourite. You can get Stevens at plus 240. Uh, potential implications for the featherweight rankings, especially if Cater wins. We'll start by talking about Calvin Cater, where he's in a very similar boat. Ironically, he fought at the same time as Greg Hardy. His last fight was on that Moscow card. And in a very similar situation, he was oh, yeah. a guy who saw his stock rise even though he didn't get the win against Zabit.
1: Mm, I remember after that fight, a lot of people started to talk about Zabit's gas tank in that fight. A lot of people thought if that was a proper five-rounder, like it was supposed to be, it would have been a, a win for Calvin. Calvin looked great, and was, those ending seconds of that fight looked great, but um uh, yeah, definitely a guy whose stock rose a pretty pretty significant after that fight. He's still a, considered a top guy. It's perfect fight, really, for Cater. I think this will be an amazing fight. I certainly
0: hope so as well. And I mean, Jeremy Stevens brings it. Jeremy has always been mm-hmm. a fantastic guy when it comes to the... Especially in terms of his the power he has for that division. I know it's a bit of a meme to say he's the hardest hitting 145 in the division, but... He backs it up. He can knock anybody out at any given time.
1: Oh, yeah. The perfect fight to bring that up is uh, I always like to think of the uh, Josh Emmett fight. That's probably the most brutal example of that right there. (laughs) Like, he pretty much almost ended Emmett's career. Like, I remember his face was, like, all fractured up, and he almost lost his eye. Like, that was a brutal knockout. That was
0: bad. And Jeremy was riding a a real – I can't even get my words out here – A real (laughs) wave going into that match. I mean he moved himself to the number four contender, got to fight with Jose Aldo. I believe he was the bookmaker's favourite going into that fight. More people people thought he was going to be aldo which is amazing when you think about it now. He has had a bit of a slump since then, obviously lost against Yair Rodriguez, but as mentioned before, the power this guy carries means he's always a wild card. He's very dangerous guy to face.
1: Yeah, he's always bringing that power. To, uh, I like that sort of little mini rivalry he had with Yari Rodriguez with that that UFC Mexico card or whatever. Oh, my God. That was crazy. I had a roommate who uh, used to live in Mexico, so you probably heard about that. <laughs> I used to watch fights with him. Uh, but, yeah, I like that little rivalry they had. Stevens, he always brings that power, but he just he – always, he always can't seem to – turn around from adversity. Yes. Once he faces it, he always seems to just crumble from it.
0: And I think the other big weakness when it comes to Jeremy Stephens as well, if I had to pick his big weakness, it's body shots. Like we saw yeah, that with the Josie Aldo fight, where obviously Aldo got the finish largely because he targeted Stephens' liver. Rodriguez did the same thing in their fight, and credit where it's due, Stephens managed to fight through that, and managed to take it to a decision. I think obviously that's something that he'll need to work on, but when you're 33 years old, when you've had as many fights in the UFC as what Jeremy Stevens has, is that just a fundamental flaw that he'll he'll have to live with during his career? Can, can he change? Can he adapt?
1: Yeah, it's sort of hard to really think about that. Like, how old is I mean, he? he's
0: 33 years old, but he's been fighting in the UFC for such okay. a long time.
1: Yeah, Yeah, he's definitely a veteran at this point. It's crazy that his record is twenty eight and seventeen. And he's still getting these main card fights. He's still being promoted as this great fighter. He's still, you know, top of the brass and uh, lightweight division. But um,
0: lightweight. featherweight.
1: I don't think featherweight. Featherweight. A little tired. <laughs> I'll let you off. Don't worry. I will let but, you
0: off. Now, I mean, if you said it was well, a heavyweight this fight, then be... we would have an issue.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll be pretty interesting, Jeremy Stevens at heavyweight. Wonder what that would look like. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of Cater versus Stevens, I got um I got Cater winning this fight.
0: So do I as well, because with with Calvin Cater, Calvin has always been a bit of a favorite for mine of always if I had to say there was fighters who mm. I'm on the hype train for, I'd put Calvin Cater on there. I remember watching his fight against Shane Burgos, which a lot of people thought, well, what's this fight doing on, on the UFC 220 main card? Both of these guys are unknown. Cater himself maybe didn't have the greatest of record, And that fight was fantastic. And I think both guys came out of that matchup much better than when they came in. And since then, both Cater and Burkos have both been on my radar. With Keita, we've got some of the best boxing in the UFC, especially in the featherweight division. He's got a crisp jab. He's great at countering and also leading as well, which I think gives him an advantage over Jeremy because Jeremy, I think, struggles when he's backed up a bit. When somebody else is making the pace, he does show a little bit of weakness, whereas Cater, I think, seems quite adept at playing both roles. His takedown defence is solid, but Zabit still found some success, and I think that's one of the big issues that comes with Calvin Cater. is for all of the qualities he has as a boxer, is he the best mixed martial artist? Can you see him submitting someone from his back? Can you see him dealing with a great leg kicker like a, like a Barboza or what Moicano did at 223? Those are sort of uncertainties that I have around Calvin Kate. In a straight-up boxing match, I think he's one of the best out there. He showed that against Ricardo Lamas.
1: Yeah, definitely in this fight, I think he'll focus a bit more on the boxing. I don't really see them... I don't really see Stevens going for that takedown immediately early on, but it could probably come into play. I could definitely see that coming into play a little bit later on if it doesn't get quick knockout in the early first round or anything. But, yeah, I do agree with you there. There is a little bit of uncertainty with the Cater's complete mixed martial arts set. He's not really the best when it comes to the ground, but he's not the worst either. Like He's not a complete bum when it comes to his takedown defense or his ground game. He's definitely definitely got some skills on the ground, but in terms of facing somebody... That's going to be a problem and, in the future. And definitely. Jeremy
0: Stevens as well is a very underrated wrestler.
1: Mm-hmm. You don't really see him using it that well, often these days, but yeah... He's definitely a good wrestler.
0: I think it's a very intriguing fight. In terms of my prediction for this one, I would probably favour Calvin Cater. I think that with Jeremy Stevens, we're seeing a guy who is maybe starting to feel the wear and tear of having so many fights. Um, and Calvin as well, I think he's, he's going to stay on the outside. He's going, to str- he's going to try and pick his shots, use his jab. I can see him outpointing Stevens. I don't see Cater getting the finish. If Stevens is going to win, though, he's going to knock him out. And Jeremy Stevens is more than capable of doing that. But I think Cater's striking defense is going to hold up. I'd give him a decision win. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I could definitely see Cater winning this fight using a a long-distance strikes, sort of keeping Stevens on the end of his punches, not really letting Stevens get in close. I could definitely see him winning this fight. And if Calvin
0: Cater was to win this fight, we'd be putting him right in the featherweight mix. I mean, he would—he'd almost certainly jump Stevens in the rankings. So we're looking at number seven potentially. He's going to be facing like like the Ortegas and the Zombies of the world. He's going to be right in that sort of title mm-hmm. picture.
1: Hmm, this is a perfect matchup for him. Considering his last fight was a beat, really, this is an amazing matchup for him. <laughs> it's a win-win scenario for certainly
0: him. Certainly. So hopefully, we'll have ourselves a bit of a win-win situation when we talk about fight number three now. If you're wanting the most casual-friendly matchup on this fight card, <laughs> I don't think you're going to pass Francis Ngannou and Royce and Strike.
1: Oh yeah, the highlights for these, like the promos, if you'd show them to any casual fan. They'll be like, "When's that on? <laughs> Tell me when that's on." <laughs> this is definitely a fight for them, really, but for everybody, it's sort of like the sort of the dessert on this whole card, really. It's perfect. And
0: this is a fight as well that has been eagerly anticipated for a while. I believe it was supposed to headline the Columbus card. Obviously, that was back in, I believe, the 28th of March. So we've been looking at about five or six weeks of waiting for this matchup. Number two seed taking on the number four seed. Likelihood is this guy will be fighting the winner of Stipe versus DC, which will be happening later on in the year. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't know what's going to be happening with DC. Uh, Steve has been having a couple of injury issues. There was an argument from both of them that they want this to be an interim heavyweight fight.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see that it wasn't, considering the general climate of the heavyweight division right now. But maybe Dana knows something that we don't. (laughs) Maybe Steve Stipe's coming back sooner than we think. Well, we
0: certainly hope so. I mean, as a completionist, I would love to see steep versus DC. Whether I think it's the best fight for mm-hmm. the division, but I think when you've had one win a piece, they built up a little bit of a rivalry, the second fight is criminally underrated. That was a fantastic fight. So a trilogy oh, yeah. matchup does make sense from that perspective and if DC was to win and retire with the belt, that's a fairy tale ending.
1: Yeah, a lot of people don't really want that to happen, but Considering myself uh, not really the biggest DC fan, but I agree with you that that fight sort of has to happen. I don't really know if it's gonna happen Im- immediately. I feel like the sooner is the better, but definitely, definitely would love to see that fight.
0: Getting back to this one, though, we'll talk about Francis Ngannou in a little bit more detail. So we have a 14-3 record. Now his last fight was against Junior Dos Santos. Now that was back in June. Finished that one in just over a minute. So, we have a situation with Ghana right now where he's had three wins in a row. He beat Curtis Blades in under a minute. Cain Velasquez in about 30 seconds. JDS just over a minute. So, we're talking about three of the most dangerous and, in some cases, legendary fighters in the sport who just got steamrolled by this guy.
1: Yeah, his last uh, three fights, he's probably had, like, what, like two minutes of octagon time like
0: <laughs> it's crazy and I think the crazy thing is as well is that you look at the shots that Ngannou throws at jet I mean most of the time he's, he's off balance I mean I watched I watched the fight mm-hmm. he had with um, Andrei Arlovsky he was leaning backwards he was pretty much on one leg totally off balance and yet he completely flatlined him, dropped Arlovsky ended up getting the win. the amount of power this guy has is ridiculous
1: Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like he's just got bricks in his arms. He's just got to fling them up quickly and he'll he'll knock you out, basically. That's the best way to describe it. It's crazy. It's just crazy.
0: One question you might have, though, is how much of this is natural gift? And how much of it is Mm -hmm. actually learned?
1: Well, I definitely think it's mostly natural because I believe before he was a fighter, he was always digging holes and stuff for his... His way of living, he was always digging holes and ditches and stuff like that. So, that entire time, he was just gaining huge muscle. So, basically, it built him up to be this destroyer. He's got that Alan Angolani <laughs> body type, like, he's perfect, really. Built him into a perfect fighter.
0: He certainly has the potential to do so. And I think it's easy to see why mm-hmm. the White was so high on this guy. And especially after the Overeem knockout just pushed him to the moon. There were holes in his game which were exposed against here, And that affected his performance against Derek Lewis. Which we can all agree is probably one of the worst UFC fights of all time. <laughs> when it comes to Fran- the big issue I think that was shown, especially against Steep is... Even though Francis does have all this power, I don't think he's comfortable leading a fight... He needs to rely on somebody making the Mm -hmm. first move so that he can counter and utilize all that power. But as we saw against Stipe, where Stipe was backing up into the corner, Francis was chasing the knockout, and Stipe, to his credit, showed some fantastic head movement. He's probably one of the best defensive strikers in the heavyweight division. Francis didn't like Mm -hmm. it, gassed himself out, and then Stipe started spamming the takedowns.
1: Yeah, the only real fight where you see him sort of uh, approach the action is sort of in the Blades fight. believe Blades, he didn't even throw anything when he got knocked out there. That was just uh, Nganu just throwing that overhand right. So he was leading that fight. But yeah, and pretty much the Kane and the Junior fight, they were all counter shots. Kane was going in for the takedown. Junior... I don't know what he was doing. He was turning around or so. I think maybe he's going for the clinch or something. But it was a counter shot. So yeah, you're right on that. Every single fight is pretty much a counter shot. And non-coup. people forget,
0: Junior found a little bit of success. He was he um, hit Engano uh, with a couple of leg kicks, and Engano bubbled mm-hmm. a little bit. So I'm wondering if that's something that Boyz Strike might try and utilize.
1: Yeah, Boyz Strike. I remember uh, first time I ever saw him it was in Ryzen. It, if you told me that that guy was gonna be in the USC I would have not believed you because this fight wasn't even that crazy It was a uh, pretty much a I believe Ryzen set it up because they wanted it to sort of be like a little freak show fight They set him up against another huge fat guy and wasn't even a knockout really. It was just a decision the only thing I remember is just I Remember Strike, he completely brute strength his way out of a, a clinch He like literally like screamed and he screamed out of the clinch but yeah, Rosenstrike I I don't know how he's going to do in this fight really. All his fights they've been super quick, really, other than the um Overeem fight that was a pretty um, telling fight. You learned a lot about him in that fight cuz pretty much he pretty much lost that fight up until the last 5 seconds.
0: I think the Overeem fight showed the best and the worst of voice and Strike because I think his performance on the whole wasn't all that great I mean Overeem's never been the greatest wrestler he was taking him down at will but Strike showed a lot of heart he stayed in that fight overcame all the adversity and then eventually got rewarded with that late knockout personally would I have stopped the fight I'm not entirely sure I think, I think was still had enough whereabouts about him that he could have maybe held on for the for the last 10 seconds that being said, though, I think that I think that ability to overcome adversity is definitely going to be beneficial to Royce and Strike, especially when you compare it to how Francis handled adversity against Stevie. I think Royce and Strike handles that a lot better. I also think he's a more technical striker mm-hmm. than Francis. He doesn't have the power, but I think he knows how to pick and choose his shots, whereas Francis almost has the sort of thought of.
1: If I hit them, they'll go down. Yeah, strikes knockouts, they always seem to be right on the button. They're not like crazy power. They always seem to be right on the... like. It seems like he's hitting the perfect spot on the chins. Like the Arlovsky fight, that was literally a perfect bink. And the same with the um, Alan Crowder fight. That was a perfect straight on the chin. So, yeah, I do agree with you. He's a bit more technical because with Nganu's knockouts, you just see brute strength, really, just going through everything.
0: <laughs> and the other thing he showed against Overeem, this guy has a hell of a chin.
1: Mm. He ate some massive mm.
0: shots in that fight and hardly flinched.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really, didn't look like he was in any trouble in that fight other than the punches, but <laughs> it didn't really look like he was
0: getting hurt by them. This is a very compelling matchup for me. Um simply because we have, two, we have two types of striker. Obviously, we've got Francis with, as the brute, Royce and Stryker as the technician. The one thing I do have, though, is everybody's expecting a first-round knockout, which is exactly the same thing we said when Francis fought Derek Lewis. And we had one of the worst fights in UFC history because both guys were unwilling to make the first move. I'm just a little bit fearful we could yeah. get the same thing.
1: Well, there were so many factors with that fight. Like there was Derek Lewis's back issues. There's Ngannou's scaredness coming off of that loss. Like there was a lot more factors going into that fight than this one.
0: I agree. I, I'm more confident about this fight be- delivering rather than it was about Lewis versus Ngannou. Because I think mm-hmm. I think Francis okay. has learned his lesson. He, he's he's humbled Francis to borrow a phrase from your videos.
1: Yeah, he's definitely humbled in Ganu now. He's definitely not really being as tentative as he was, but I did like that haircut he had in that Ganu versus Lewis fight. I like that haircut. Uh, the buzz that. cut. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I quite like the look he has right now. I mean, there's something about that lightning bolt in the side of his head. You just think this guy is, he's almost like a superhero. Just like the physique and he's got the hair as well.
1: Yeah, the lightning bolts. That's pretty iconic. I could see that being like a painting or something. <laughs> sort of like you know Ariel Hawani's MMA show. He has that little graphic of his brain lighting up, like the lightning bolts. I could see it sorta of being like that. That'd be pretty cool.
0: I'll trademark it as we speak. Which way is this gonna go then, Claire?
1: Uh, it's sorta of hard to say, but really my mind says I could see Nganu getting that early knockout I, I don't know if Rosenstrike could deal with the sort of power that Ngannou has because Overeem's power he definitely has that power but it's not really on the same level as it used to be like not really on the same level as his K1 days or anything like that but yeah I can see Ngannou winning this fight first round
0: I think I think strike is a good fighter but I think he's had mm-hmm. a few strokes of fortune to make people think he's better than what he is. I think I, mm-hmm. I think so, he could cause Ngannou problems if the fight does get into the second round. And especially if Francis does try and chase mm-hmm. the knockout. That being said, I'm in the same boat as you. I think Francis is going to find that chain. And either Francis first round knockout or we get another Derek Lewis fight.
1: I highly doubt we'll see that. I don't know. Something about this fight, I don't think we'll see something like that again, unless we get like Yoel Romero versus Izzy two or something like that.
0: (laughs) You do realize if you're wrong, that's going to be on one of those sort of like uh, worst, like those sort of like Twitter hashtags, like moments before disaster.
1: (laughs) Man, I promise you, this will be a good fight. (laughs) Seal of approval.
0: And I want to say a big thank you to anybody who is joining us on YouTube now, we like to split the main and the core main into their own separate videos. This is still the uh, UFC 249 preview show. And we have got ourselves in our core main, one of the most intriguing and almost bizarre title fights for a long, long time. Henry Cejudo has long been rumoured to defend his bantamweight title, he lost his flyweight belt, it was taken off him by the UFC. And there'd been all these murmurings over who we could potentially face. Now, most of the people who believe in meritocracy said it should be... It should be Piotr Jan, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhagen. The rumours started that it was going to be Jose Aldo, main eventing USC 250 in Brazil. The lockdown meant that Aldo couldn't compete. So they scrambled around for a replacement. And I don't think anybody on planet Earth would have predicted... That it would be Dominic Cruz. Considered by many to be the greatest bantamweight champion of all time but a guy who hasn't fought in the UFC for three years.
1: Yeah honestly if he just makes it to the octagon that'll be good enough for me because <laughs> for the longest time I've been saying Cruz is not gonna fight again. There's been so many times he's wanted to come back. Something's happened where he just seems to sh-
0: I think it would be an amazing deal. I mean, to put this into perspective, I've got a little few stats about the last time that Dominic Cruz fought in the UFC. Barack Obama was still the President of the United States. Okay. Yep. Leicester City were the Premier League football champions. And Ronda Rousey fought more recently than Dominic Cruz.
1: That's true. Technicality by like twenty
0: That is a sign of how long this guy has been out of action. Yet he's been thrown right back into the mix. We got ourselves another title fight. Uh bookmakers odds for this one, they're fairly favourable towards Henry Sahoodor. He's a minus two forty favourite. You can get Cruz at a plus one ninety. First place to start is should Dominic Cruz be having this title fight?
1: Um Who else do you want to put him against? Would you like to see that maybe Cruz versus I think that would be an intriguing matchup if he came back uh...
0: I think if Cruz was coming back I would give him someone like Jimmy Rivera Okay Because I think Okay. Jimmy Rivera is a, a good fighter but I think he's, there's a lot of limitations which means I don't see him ever being a champion I just don't think he has the power for that so I think that would have been a good tune-up fight for Cruz, similar to what the Mizugaki mm. fight was before he fought TJ for the second time. Um, I think throwing him into this kind of fight after such a long layoff is a massive risk by the UFC. But given the circumstances, I understand why they went with that decision. Personally, if you can't get Piotr yarn because of the lockdown, I would have gone for Aljo.
1: Mm-hmm. I sort of agree with you there, but considering the lockdown, I agree with you. But if it wasn't the lockdown, I would have liked to see Aljo get a, maybe one or two more fights before that happens.
0: I think Aljo's done enough, in my opinion. I think Aljo's run of form recently has been very, very good.
1: Okay, but okay. that's just personally me. You don't want to see him get that. Uh, you don't want to see him get that Marlin win back. You don't want to see him get that rematch.
0: <laughs> I'd like to see it at some point down the road. It's just I think that. He's done enough, in my opinion, to warrant the title fight.
1: Mhm. It definitely wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be upsetting if he got it. That's definitely true.
0: We'll start with Henry Cejudo before we sort of try and transition off to winching about the title picture. Cruz versus Cejudo is happening. We need to deal with it. Henry Cejudo, 15-2 mm-hmm. record, USC Bantamweight Champion. He got that by beating Marais at USC 238. And... I think we saw the best and the worst of Henry Cejudo in that fight, because people forget Marlon Marias was causing him so many problems in that first round, but the way that Henry Mm. adapted and took control in the second and third rounds, whether you like Cejudo or not, whether you find his characters cringy he deserves all the credit in the world for that performance.
1: Mm -hmm. Marlon, I definitely think, was probably the most explosive fighter that recent Cejudo has faced. TJ sort of was explosive, but that weight yes. cut just completely demolished him, so I can't really <laughs> speak about that fight, but yeah, Marlon was giving him a lot of problems in that fight. It's going to be interesting to see if Cruz is going to try that, but Cruz has never really been that type of striker. He's never really been that type of power puncher, so yeah, it's going to be interesting.
0: What have you made of Cejudo's behavior over the past, say, 12 months? Because... He did pride himself on this idea of being a fighting champion, taking on all comers, and almost immediately after he got that second belt, he started chasing the money fights. Now I understand that from a business perspective, but I think to go from one extreme to another, I think it rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it was certainly a 180 because he was uh, he was fighting the, the right fights. Well, I don't want to say TJ versus Cejudo was the right fight to make, but. It's, it's
0: a big name for him, though. He... It's, a, it's a. Yeah. I mean, he could potentially be on a run here where, if out of his past four fights, he's beaten TJ Dillashaw, Mighty Mouse, and Dominic Cruz. Now, a lot of those guys, there's a lot of asterisks next to those fights, but the record books, that'll look very, very good. So I understand that from that perspective.
1: Yeah, Um, but yeah, in terms of Cruz coming back, I think it's a little bit too early, but it'll definitely be an intriguing matchup. It'll be interesting to see if Cruz still has that footwork. It'll be interesting to see if he employs his regular game plan. i don't see why he wouldn't, but yeah, I'm just interested to see what type of Cruz is going to show up because if the right Cruz shows up, he definitely could do some problems to Cejudo. Definitely good. I've
0: said for a long time that a prime Dominic Cruz would be a stylistic nightmare for Henry Cejudo because Mm. you've got a guy who loves to stay on the outside, use his footwork, use his movement and people forget Cruz has faced a lot of good grapplers during his career and he he neutralised Uriah Faber in two times out of three And and the one fight he did lose was when he was very, very early in his career.
1: Oh, yeah, he was a little kid, basically, back then. He was, like, 19 or something. He was very young back then.
0: Um, a big question mark when it comes to Dominic Cruz as well. I mean, obviously, the injury is going to play a big part. But I think even a prime Dominic Cruz still lost. He faced Cody Garbrandt, UFC 207. Now, Cody Garbrandt, you could argue, yes, he, he was held by the fact that Alpha Male had faced Cruz so many times that they basically had an entire portfolio. On the guy and Cruz mm. and Garbrand stuck to that game plan and delivered but there were weaknesses which were shown in Cruz I don't think he handled the way the Garbrand got into the pocket use his power used his speed and you have to remember that fourth round he dropped him like two or three times in that round that was an easy ten-eight.
1: yeah there was a couple times if he jumped on him he definitely could have ended the fight he's show a lot during those knockdowns.
0: (laughs) Can we see Henry Cejudo using a similar strategy? Because he knows the game plan to beat Dominic Cruz, Mm -hmm. but I don't think Cejudo is as fast or as powerful to have the same success Garbrandt did. I mean, people like to bring up, yeah, well, he knocked out Dillashaw and he he stopped Marias, but both of those times, those guys were severely depleted. TJ especially should not have been fighting a flyweight. If you look before then, Marlon. Yeah. If you look before then, and you look at Cejudo's fights at bantamweight before he moved down, yeah, he had, he had decent striking. He had that sort of like karate wrestling hybrid style, but he was quite pillow fisted. Whether that's improved with over the past couple of years, obviously being the sport a bit longer, I'm not entirely sure. But I question Cejudo's power
1: yeah i sort of knew that he had some power after watching the the reyes fight that's sort of the first time i sort of took notice of henry cejudo when he knocked out wilson, wilson hayes. reyes in that fight yeah wilson hayes that was a brutal knockout he had that sort of karate style I remember people were saying he looked a little bit like mcgregor's style in that fight but yeah i definitely think he's gotten a bit more power over his career but you were saying both in the Marlin and the TJ fight, they're both pretty depleted. Like Marlin, he got knocked out because pretty much he was just gassed. Really, you could see in the um, throwing egg, and he was telling his coach he just had no more energy left. He was just basically fatigued. So, yeah, Cruz doesn't really fatigue though.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the karate style because if there's one weakness about a karate style, it leaves you very vulnerable to leg kicks. And who yeah. throws leg kicks better? in that division than Dominic Cruz.
1: Yeah, really, nobody. That's a perfect perfect matchup for leg kicks.
0: As I mentioned before, Cejudo is quite a, I wouldn't say a substantial favourite, but I think people are fairly confident that is going to win this fight. Interestingly, when we look at the poll on the YouTube page, I posted this uh, yesterday, uh, Dominic Cruz is given a 62% chance of winning this fight by the... Good subscribers on INC. You can get Henry Cejudo at 38%. So the fans are favoring Cruz wow. for this one, which I'm very surprised by. Who are you favoring?
1: Um, I'm favoring Cejudo just because I feel like he'll probably show up in the best condition that night. He'll probably show up probably in the best training shape that night. So yeah, I'm going with Cejudo on that by decision think it'll be a decision. I think Ain't no way Dominic Cruz is getting knocked out.
0: No, no. I mean it would be a big feather in Sehudo's cap if he's able to do that, but
1: Of course. I'm
0: very similar to you. I think that I think a prime Dominic Cruz would be fairly comfortable winner of this fight. However, we're talking about a guy Mm -hmm. who's thirty five years old, hasn't fought in a long time, and has had a lot of injury problems. And injuries which have massively affected the way he fights. A Dominic Cruz without his speed and without his movement is a very vulnerable fighter. So I think Cejudo's going to take this one. And similar to you, I think it'll be a comfortable decision.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it'll be a competitive matchup, but I can see Cejudo getting away on the points.
0: And I want to say a big thank you to anybody who is joining us on YouTube. We always like to split the mains and the core main events on these preview shows. Try and get ourselves a few more extra views And for the people who don't don't want to hear me rambling on for about a good 90 minutes or so. So we split this into two extra videos. And this one is the main event of the evening. The interim lightweight title is on the line. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that were disappointed that Tony Ferguson... And Khabib Nurmagomedov wasn't taking place if there is a good number two fight we've got it here. Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gagey five rounds with two of the most violent men in this sport today
1: well yeah this will be this will be insane this will be a pretty crazy matchup I definitely think it's a pretty darn good replacement for Khabib versus Ferguson I'm one of those people where I always thought that fight was just never going to happen. It's a cursed fight. Yeah. That will never happen other than on UFC 3. So, (laughs) like, that fight just won't happen. So, this is a pretty good replacement. But, yeah, I think I got uh, Gaethje winning this fight.
0: Well, the bookmakers have Tony Ferguson as a minus 190 favorite. You can get Gaethje at plus Mm -hmm. 155. Um, Obviously, people know that Tony vs Khabib, it was planned for April, pandemic happened, Khabib couldn't get into the country, Justin Mm -hmm. Gaethje was willing to step in on short notice. Uh, That event ended up being cancelled, so it got pushed back a month. Here we are now on the precipice of this matchup. We'll start with Tony Ferguson, and if you had to look at the most unlucky fighters in the UFC, I think Ferguson would be a big argument for that. Because we've got a guy on a 12-fight winning streak who has still never had a shot at the lightweight title. And if you look at that winning streak, he's faced a who's who of some of the best lightweights on that roster. You look at Edson Barboza, Cowboy Savoni, Rafael Dos Anjos, He's taken them all on, he's beaten them, and he's beaten them fairly comprehensively.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I heard you mention he was never... Um never got to a title fight? What are you talking about? He, he's a champion, man. He beat Kevin well, Lee. Well, if that was an
0: interim title.
1: <laughs> yeah, was it an interim title that later turned into the title? I don't was think it, it ever one was. Of those?
0: I think the way that it worked was that Conor was still the lightweight champion. Tony became interim champ. And the intention was that when Tony and Khabib actually fought, the moment the fight started, McGregor would be stripped.
1: Hold on, let me look this up,
0: so Connor' still remained champion onto UFC two twenty three uh when Khabib vs raging Al finally started, that became the official title fight, and then Khabib ended up getting the belt so Ferguson's actually been stripped of the interim belt when he pulled out of the fight because of injury there's actually this okay. there's actually this fan rumor that goes around that part of the reason Connor caused the dolly incident was because he didn't want to be stripped. <laughs>
1: It's a big conspiracy theory.
0: (laughs) The internet's a fun place. Trust me, I have heard every single kind of rumor about every fighter going. (laughs) On a more serious note, though, we need to talk about Tony Ferguson. Arguably one of the most unconventional strikers in this sport. Uh, Awkward movement, amazing cardio. I mean, the guy just does not get tired. I mean, he can go for about 25 minutes. And I think the thing that's really been highlighted as well especially with his most recent wins against Cowboy and Anthony Pettis, He might not finish opponents with strikes all that often, but he has deceptive power. Everybody comes out of a Tony Ferguson fight looking like hell.
1: Yeah, it's quite strange. He's not really a huge, heavy puncher. He's more like a a cutter. Yes, I like to think of him as a cutter. He always has those very deceptive elbows. Everybody always likes to bring up how he's going to cut Khabib up with elbows on the on his back and everything, but uh, yeah, he's always got great elbows, he's very slick in the way that he cuts his opponents it's very quick, you can pretty much never really notice that he's ended up cutting his opponent, I remember Anthony Pettis versus Tony Ferguson when he got dropped that first time and there was blood everywhere everybody thought that it was coming from Ferguson's mouth but it was actually he, he Pettis, cuts, he cut yeah. Pettis open it's <laughs> Pretty crazy. And then he
0: came back and nearly finished him at the end of the round.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would have been interesting to see if that went on another round, but it's a Pettis fight. That ain't happening.
0: Been... Yeah. Pettis sometimes has a habit <laughs> of when things do get a bit too tough. He, is, he does sometimes try and look for the easy way out. But I think he broke in his hand. Duke Rufus is quite safe with a lot of his fights. Oh, yeah. So I give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that. Do you think Tony's making the right decision taking this fight? Because... Tony versus Khabib will always be on the table, because fan demand for that is, it's through the roof. Especially since it's been cancelled so many times. You could have very easily sat at home and thought, you know what, I'm going to wait and get this fight when Khabib's ready to fight and we can get ourselves some crowds. Is this maybe a financial decision from Tony? Is he just that sort of frame of mind that he wants to fight anybody, anytime? Is it a guy who's thirty-seven years old and wants to try and make a few quick extra paychecks before he maybe starts declining a bit?
1: I sort of think it's a combination of both. He definitely wants, definitely probably got a huge paycheck for taking this fight, and he's it's definitely always game to fight. So I definitely think it was sort of a little bit of both. He definitely wanted to take another fight, probably wanted to get active again, but uh, I could see this fight either making. Tony versus Khabib, even huger, or it could end up killing it.
0: Yeah, I think if Tony loses this fight, that's gonna be it.
1: Yeah, I don't see it ever coming up ever again if Gaethje ends up knocking him out.
0: When we look at like Tony Ferguson's sort of is obviously, a fantastic grappler, the Dars' Chalk is probably the best in the sport. Like OSP has mm-hmm. the Von Flue Chalk, the Dars' is Tony Ferguson's bread and butter. So if this fight does go to the ground, I think Ferguson's going to have an easy win. I mean, Justin Gagey's a good grappler, but there is a big gulf. In terms of the weaknesses Mm -hmm. when it comes to Tony Ferguson, though, he is a slow starter. He does sometimes need to take a few shots to really sort of realise, hey, I'm in a fight. I need to get things going. I mean, Cowboy, who's also a notoriously slow starter, you could argue Cowboy won round one.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is sort of a, a little bit of a nightmare matchup because uh, Gaethje in his recent fights has been the complete opposite. He's been been a fast starter, really. He's been uh, catching guys off guard in the early seconds of the early rounds. So, yeah, it'll be pretty interesting to see what will happen in those uh, that early round of number one. It'll be pretty interesting. And
0: we've seen Tony Ferguson get caught.
1: Yeah. Pettis, you mentioned yeah. that
0: Lando Venata nearly finished him.
1: Yeah that was, that's really brutal if you watch that fight, that's a not a good showcase for Tony Ferguson if you watch that fight, a lot of people will think he's sloppy if you end up showing him that fight first right off the bat.
0: <laughs> now we talk about the guy who will be hoping to try and spoil the Tony vs Khabib party and that's just Gagey, a 21-2 record, former WSOF champion, always known as being one of the most popular and one of the most aggressive fighters in the sport pretty much I I believe every fight he's had in the UFC has had some kind of performance bonus. Whether that's a knockout of the night, or a fight of the night performance of the night, this guy always delivers.
1: Oh yeah. Basically, if you watch his WSOF fights, that's like a casual's wet dream right there. Like a guy that just throws down, not worrying about anything. That's that's right up a casual's audience right there. That's perfect. But his recent fights, he's Turned a completely new leaf.
0: I totally agree. I think that There'd always been criticisms about Justin Gagey, That yes, he was aggressive. Yes He liked to be the sort of dirty brawler who would attack the body attack the legs But he was getting caught. We were starting to see his chin Somewhat failing Eddie Alvarez caught him. Justin Pavia caught him. Both fantastic fights and Gagey was competitive in both I think Trevor Whitman deserves a lot of praise. I mean, like, Firas Sarabi gets all the praise as being sort of like the elite goat coach, but the job that Whitman has done to turn Gagey into the sort of Homer Simpson of MMA and make him one of the hardest-hitting fighters in the division, a proper knockout artist, I think deserves a lot of credit.
1: hmm Yeah, it's, it's incredible how he's changed his complete game plan around this late in his career.
0: And I think that was a realisation. I think the Paul Vier fight especially made Justin realise hey, I've got these oh, yeah. flaws, I need to change. Because you have to remember when he went into that fight with James Vick, there was a lot of people thinking, is this guy worthy of being in the UFC? Is he just going to get found mm-hmm. out? Now he's fighting higher level competition. So of course, three first round mm-hmm. knockouts later and here we stand right now. He stocks the highest it's ever been. And I'm with you. I think I think he has a good chance of catching Ferguson.
1: Yeah, really, I could see this being a complete nightmare matchup for Ferguson, really. A hard-hitting guy who picks his shots, doesn't really swarm you. It's a pretty bad matchup for him, in my opinion.
0: And I think his takedown defense, as well, has been fairly good. I don't think anybody's taken him down in the UFC so far.
1: Uh no, I believe in the Alvarez fight. There was a couple of takedown attempts, but every single one he stuffed, just beautifully.
0: I did like the fact. I did like that it was actually gage I believe, who went for a takedown against Alvarez. He sort of tried to shoot it, and then it was almost <laughs> like something supernatural just said to him, "Hang on, you're just in Get back up."
1: Yeah, he like flipped, it, did like a backflip or something. I remember that.
0: <laughs> That's one of my favourite fights. That's my personal favourite Gagey fight between all five of them so far. In terms of Justin's other traits, um, we know that Tony Ferguson's had issues with his knees. And again, we've got a, a guy who loves to target the legs. So if we do mm. see him reverting back to old Gagey, which is a bit of a dirty brawler, those leg kicks could come in very handy against Tony Ferguson.
1: Yeah, the way that he always uh, used to whip him out, it was basically uh, sort of like a jab, really. You know, he used to throw that leg kick like it was nothing. He'd always throw it every single, every like 10 seconds or so, he'd throw a leg kick.
0: How good would you rate Justin's winning streak in hindsight? I mean, a lot of people have said, well, he's got a chance because he's this new knockout artist and he's, he's beaten three guys in the first round. Those three guys, though, are Cowboy Savoni, who was maybe on the downturn of his career, Edson Barbosa, very similar situation, he's been on a bad form, and James Vick, who, yes, he was on a good form at the time, but is, has suffered two more knockouts, and is largely seen as this sort of, dare I say, joke figure in the UFC, but somewhat unfairly.
1: Yeah, I think at the time, these wins definitely were justified. Ha- if you look at them now, though, They haven't though, aged well. Di- yeah, they haven't aged the
0: best. <laughs> What would you say is Justin's biggest weakness? What's Tony going to try and exploit?
1: Uh, I could definitely see Tony trying to make it a brawl. I could see Tony trying to get that old Justin out, trying to get that, that crazy Justin out that's just a wild style. Maybe I could see him sort of going for takedowns a little bit, maybe employing a little bit of clinch work. We haven't really seen... Gaethje in the clinch really can't really think of a time that I've seen him in the UFC in a clinch so I don't know but this is Tony Ferguson we're talking about this isn't he'll probably go for like a a Minari role (laughs) or
0: something like that
1: yeah like (laughs) maybe he could try some crazy takedowns like that
0: I do see Ferguson getting quite unconventional in trying to get this to the ground
1: Mm Hmm. yeah
0: I think this is a very intriguing matchup and then of course the big questions that come from this, we've all talked ad nauseum so many times about how Tony Ferguson could do against Khabib. If Justin gets this win, that's the next fight. It's going to be Gagey versus Khabib. How would that play out?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> really don't know. I could see it. I don't know. I could see it sort of being a little bit like uh, the Poirier fight, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit like that. But we just haven't really seen Justin on the ground. I don't want to say he's some magician on the ground. He's got this insane takedown defense. But really, we just don't know.
0: Very intriguing matchup. A lot of people looking forward to it, even if it's not the fight that we all wanted. Where are you putting your money? You have a gun to your head and you say, you've got to put money on this fight. What are you going for?
1: I think uh, I think Gagey's going to catch him. I think it's going to be sort of a... Uh, not really going to say similar, but I think it'll be sort of similar to when Pettis knocked him down, but uh, except this time he's not going to be able to roll out of that knockdown. <laughs> I think Gagey's going to put him out cold.
0: I hate to say it. Maybe it's the. It's sort of like the inevitability of Tony versus Kabid not happening. Mm, I think Gagey's yeah. going to end that dream fight once and for all. I think he's going to catch Tony Ferguson early. Um, If he doesn't though, the longer this fight goes on, the more I say Tony Ferguson wins this fight. But I see Mm Gagey catching him.
1: Yeah, each time I play it back in my head, I just see that clean, crisp counter like in this uh, cowboy fight. I just see something like that happening. Going to have to see. Uh,
0: YouTube viewers are a bit more one-sided though. They've got Tony Ferguson 78% just in Gagey 22. So they're definitely favoring Ferguson for this one.
1: Wow, 78%. 78%, oh. so
0: they're fairly confident Tony Ferguson's going to win this matchup. All right. So it's going to be very interesting to see which way this does play out and how UFC 249 goes down. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty about the event. Um, should it be taking place at all? And if it does take place, what sort of event we'll be getting? But given the circumstances, I think the UFC have put themselves... The best card they possibly could. And I think they deserve a lot of mm-hmm. credit for that, even if it might not be the common sense decision.
1: Yeah, it might not be the most politically correct, but they've definitely picked the best card they could do in this current time, current climate, it's certainly the best they could do. And then we got ourselves an and then we got
0: ourselves another two cards after that. we got Wednesday and then next Saturday yeah. and the Saturday afterwards as well. So we're back in business. We've got, people have actually got a reason to watch our podcast shows now.
1: Wow, that's crazy. It's immediately the next Wednesday.
0: Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, that'll be Anthony Smith and Glover. And then the week after that, it's Overeem Man, Walt Harris.
1: Okay, I think I heard that they're going to be announcing a couple more fights. Definitely not all the fights released yet for those cards, so definitely have more to talk about
0: certainly so and we hope that you join us for the podcast episodes those will continue to be uploaded onto youtube Um, if you want to listen to them in your spare time though it's available on itunes and all of your big internet podcast providers that being said though i want to say a big thank you to claire somewhere in the internet for joining me to discuss these fights
1: No problem, it's always a pleasure to be here USC
0: 249 taking place next Saturday I'm going to be staying up for it I hope you are as well Thank you very much for joining us This is the INC, thank you for watching